30 years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons? Catherine Thompson's varied experiences in corporate America prepared her for success in her current role as Chief Operating Officer for the national nonprofit Girls on the Run. Along the way, she learned that life is a marathon, not a sprint. Rely on your strengths, but take more risks than maybe you think you should. Welcome, Catherine Welsh Thompson. Today, we are very happy to be chatting with Catherine, um, I say Welsh, but Catherine Thompson, um, so, or we'll say Catherine Welsh Thompson. Uh, that. Um, uh, I'm thrilled to have you here because I always like to see you and we've had some fun together at Darden and doing the work we did with the, um, graduate women in business that we were involved in. So today we want to explore a little more with you about what your journey's been about and um, just go with the flow and, and see what we can learn about um, you uh, and I'm curious uh, to learn more about you than I already know. So, with that being said, one of the things we've been asking everybody at the beginning is, you know, if you could go back with your glass of wine, or have over a glass of wine, and think about what you'd say to your younger self. What would that be? All right. Well, that was like the only snippet that I did hear of Carl's before I decided it was too intimidating listening and I'm going to stop listening. So I was a little prepared for that one. I could tell you, you should never be intimidated by Carl Peoples. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you should have listened. The whole I know, day. I know all of his secrets. And that's right. uh, I loved it. I loved it. I, I will tell you guys, I really think this is a neat idea. And I am glad I didn't listen to everybody else's, but having listened to what I did listen to of Carl's, I want to go back and listen to everybody else's. So I'm excited to listen to it. Um, that question years ago, I heard I was uh, part of a, a, a women's award situation in Charlotte. And they asked that question to all the award winners. And so um, I don't remember my own answer, but I do remember somebody else's answer that I thought was really good, which was actually wear sun protection, which I know sounds ridiculous. I will, <laughs> speak, I will speak more from a business perspective, but I was like, that is so true. I wish somebody had told me when I was younger. And of course this next generation, they're all wearing 50 and 70 SPF anyway, but now sitting at age 54, I'm like, oh, dang. Like, I really wish I had worn that sun protection anyway. Um, but on a serious note, <laughs> uh, the things that I usually say, and I've gotten it before, the things that I usually say, um, they vary a little bit, but probably the, the some of these I've done well and some of these I haven't done well. So one that I have not necessarily, I could have improved upon is take more risks. Um, and I'll tell you a story about that later. But, you know, we talk a lot at Girls on the Run, even now about failing forward. And I, I think quite frankly, if you're not, 
and I hate to use these words, people kind of shy away from the words, but honestly, if you're not failing, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough and you're not trying hard enough and you're not challenging yourself hard enough. Mm, mm. I look back on my life and say that I'm not sure that I failed enough, you know, like I, I failed some and certainly. Um, and so I used to look at that and say, Oh, I'm, I'm, I know my strengths and my gifts and I play to my strengths and my gifts. And that's like a positive thing. I'm self-aware. Now I look at it and say, did I put too many, you know, boundaries around that? Did I, did I actually limit myself in some way? Because I said my gifts were this and I played to this and I didn't push myself in a different direction. So, so anyway, um, and I'll tell you a great story. Again, I guess we're going to have time in a little bit about taking more risks, but that really is probably the thing I tell people the most is to take more risks. Um, now, I just sort of touched upon the second one, which is I also tell people to play to your strengths um, and spend the time to figure out what those are. Uh, because if you're playing to your strengths, it's easier right? Like it's just easier. And it's usually the things that bring you passion and joy. Um, and if you're good at it anyway, you know, then you're just going to get better at it. And it, yeah. So just play, play to your strengths and your strengths are going to be different than the next person's. Um, but just know that everybody has them. It's just, you have to kind of figure out what yours are. Um, and then my last one, which is very fitting since I work for girls on the run, is life is a marathon and not a sprint. Mm. And I think the analogy around running is a good one, which is funny. I was never a runner, by the way. So it's not like I came to Girls on the Run because I was a big runner. Um, but I think there's so many analogies around running that are so good, you know, whether it's um, everything from training, you know, to, uh, you know, stop. We, at Girls on the Run, we talk about stop and take a breather, you know, you know, stop, <laughs> a breather, pace yourself, Right. You don't complete a marathon because you went out and just, you know, ran until your lungs uh, collapsed. So I just think that life is a marathon and not a sprint. Um, so mm. those are my three. I love it. And prepared and creative as always. Uh, so now you've opened up very easily for me to ask you share with us. Um some of the risks maybe you wish you'd taken or um, that you did take that were big payoffs. Give us yeah. kind of a, give us a glimmer to that. Okay. Well, first I will tell you the story that, that I alluded to because I think it's an interesting story right. about this risk thing um, because I love telling the story. So when I was, uh, I went to UVA, UVA also undergrad and I also did business. I was in the comm school. And when it came time to recruiting, so here's an example of not taking a risk. When it came time to recruiting, uh, UVA had a great career placement officer, similar to Darden's. It was wonderful. People came to us. You know, we didn't have to think about, you know, we didn't have to think about where am I going to go get a job? There, there's companies coming and I just had to put my resume into a box and I, I got, I got uh, interviews. And so, and then I got offers. I mean, it, you know, it never occurred to me to look. So again, not taking a risk. It never occurred to me to look beyond the three really good offers that I had. Right. Okay. I'll leave that right now. But, but I did not get an offer from the company that I really 
wanted to get an offer from. Mm. And that was Nestle. Mm. In undergrad, as you all are aware, again, from business school, um, there were not a lot of brand management jobs in undergrad. Most of the brand management jobs were coming out of business school. And, but Nestle was one of the few companies that recruited out of undergrad. And I got a job offer. I mean, I job offer. I got an, uh, I got an interview and then I, I got a, uh, a visit to the corporate office. I think I was one of 13 nationwide that got to go to the corporate office. I don't know how many they ultimately hired. They did not hire me. Um, so I, uh, went up to purchase New York for uh, the interview. And the night before they had a dinner and all the people that were interviewing the next day were at this dinner, along with sort of like the key management, the CEO, I'm guessing it was the CEO of North America, not the world. Um, So we're at the dinner and, you know, after we have the dinner, the CEO stands up to talk and uh, he gives a speech, you know, welcoming us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says, do y'all have any questions? And so, you know, I gone to pretty strong undergraduate business school. I knew I was supposed to ask a question. I had my question prepared. Don't remember that question, by the way. But I asked my question because I raised my hand, asked my question. He answered me. You know, thank you so much. Appreciate that. I broke the ice, whatever. You know, he gives an answer. And then he says, oh, that was great. Are, are, are there any other questions? And I sat there and waited and waited for somebody else to raise their hand of the other, whatever, 13 candidates. And nobody else raised their hand. And I sat there thinking to myself, here is this man who is the CEO of Nestle and nobody else is asking a question. So I raised my hand again. <laughs> and I asked, looking back on your life, what did would you give somebody in my position coming out of college? And he said, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. He said, the amount you risk in life is the amount you stand to gain. And mm-hmm. without any risk, there is no gain. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me for a couple of reasons. One, it stuck with me because it was catchy, right? It stuck with me also because I didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get the job because I asked two questions <laughs> and I am not kidding you. So next day I go through my interviews. I think I'm doing all right, you know, et cetera. And um, go back to Charlottesville a couple of days later, my recruiter guy, Joe, Joe Monica stayed in touch with him for years. Joe calls me and says, you know, following up, I'm so sorry. We're not going to give you the job. And I was right. I was just like, Ugh. he said, I want you to know, we talked about you the longest. Mm. He said, and people either loved you or they just didn't think you were a fit. Now, in my mind, I think, or they hated you. You know, I, I don't remember those exact words, but that's kind of like, I was, I was at polar extremes, right? And he said to me, he goes, he goes, if it's any consolation, I just don't think you'd be happy here. <laughs> um, so it was very memorable because of all of this. But I think Joe's probably right. You know, like if they, if the, if the crowd couldn't stomach two questions, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, so anyway, uh, there you go. But that's, that's my story. That's why it's one of the things that I talk about. And, um, you know, there's a lot of lessons wrapped up in all of that, I guess. Um, Gosh. So, yeah. so, you know, you say that, 
in the past you wish you had or think that maybe you should have taken more risks um have you brought that to where you are now are you taking more risks at you know in the last little bit or not yeah that's a good question you know i think i think my i think i would say i still don't take enough because if i i don't i I guess the good news is i don't feel myself like failing often you know um and so if i if that's my measure if that's my measure then i still need to be pushing more i think what i've brought with me or i still take with me is trying to create a culture where the organization is not afraid to try things and i do feel like we've created a really strong culture of trying things and so to that degree i think i think yes i've always been maybe fortunate um really to be around folks where i don't feel like you know i've always mostly been rewarded for stepping stepping out making suggestions stepping up you know other than my other than my second question to the nestle guy you know i've mostly um have received positive feedback for that i think i think uh i balance between that and then still a little bit of maybe knowing my limitations and i think that's the only place where i'm like uh, you know well you know as you as you move through your career when you're when you're a middle manager or a junior manager, you really, you're really kind of often really in charge of just yourself, right? So, you know, pushing yourself, the consequences is, are uh, upon yourself. But now that you're senior manager, um, you know, the consequences of, of failing are the whole organization. So, but what I hear you saying is like, you're realizing that there is a transition from fail, not beating yourself up failing to not beating up your people when they fail and to give them the safe space to right. to make how how do you how do you how do you think you how do you try to accomplish that now do you think any any ah uh, yeah well i really think it is it is about how you talk about things and quite frankly we got to a place where we even started to recognize and sort of celebrate the things that we tried that didn't work you know and and look at things that don't work, like lessons that we can take away from the things that didn't work, right? So here's an example, but like the organization itself, whether it's our chapter level or our our HQ level, looks at COVID as one of the, like, I think honestly, so many of us look at COVID, that COVID experience the last two years as a little bit of like, if we survive that, we can really pretty much do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Think that the the we really were like resilience i would say is kind of a, another sort of strong word and theme both i think organizationally but also maybe in my own life and so back to the failing um aspect failing forward example prior to covid we did a pilot we were looking at um could we deliver the program um kind of like to remote areas without having a chapter involved and our thought process was there are rural, let's pick on you know Montana, there are rural counties in the US that are never gonna be able to support a chapter. And could we from HQ kind of support delivery of the program without the chapter involved? And 
Um, we never really had a chance to complete the pilot exactly because of COVID, COVID hit. But because we were, and quite frankly, we were getting some pushback from even our chapters at the start of that pilot, because I think they were feeling a little threatened by the delivery model. Um, but interestingly enough, it's because we were doing that pilot that we were able to pivot so quickly when COVID hit. So yeah. while we completely trashed the pilot and have sort of said like, yeah, we're not revisiting that again, moving on, you know, we, we looked at that whole thing as a huge success. <laughs> You know, which is so funny in hindsight, because, yeah, as a as what we were actually going after, it didn't achieve that at all. Yeah, you, you know, it's um, it, just watching how excited you are about the role you're in right now, Catherine. And I guess I'm going to challenge you because I wonder if you've ever thought I, I would love your perspective that. You went from being a VP of strategy from a marketing function in a in a um, in a company, a corporation in manufacturing, right? So your property was manufacturing. Was it this the manufacturing one? No, it was. Uh, yeah, we were making we were making it all in the U.S. Right, right, right. Rode that all the way down. Thing. By the way, right. I rode so that all I remember, the way down. I remember you bragging about all your beautiful sheets, and I was coveting them and how many counts they were and all that. So I'm sitting there listening to you, going, "She doesn't think she took a risk." Like when you moved from a corporate job heading to the next level, probably knowing you maybe SVP, I don't know, EVP, whatever. And then you went into a nonprofit girls organization. And that probably, no, I think that's I a mean, good you're, you're our first person we've interviewed that has, yeah. is from a nonprofit. So yeah, again, it was, it was, a, it was it's not the paradigm of our mm. Darden education. Right. So I, mm -hmm. I'm listening going, gosh, I think that would be a huge risk money-wise, reputation-wise, whatever is in, in people's yeah. ego and head, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a um, couple thoughts on that one. So yes, uh, sort of. Um, so yes, it, it, it was. It was a, it was a risk. Um, I knew I was able to take the risk because... Um, both, both I had lived beneath my means for a while, you know, during, during when I was doing sort of more of the cor corporate thing, um, uh, uh, I was part of a two income household. Um, I had helped my husband take a risk. He had started his own business earlier and I was sort of the, the primary breadwinner structure. Steady. So this was sort of my time, my mm -hmm. time, so to speak, because we did talk about it, my time. The best, though, was technically I was unemployed when I took the job. So, um, you know, I had I had I was out of work, out of work for a year. I've got to say taking that break was awesome. I, you know, in hindsight, I highly recommend taking breaks. Uh, I think back in the day we used to think about that as, oh, my God, you don't have a job. What's wrong with you? Now I look at that and say. Yes, you should plan on taking breaks. Again, life is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. and, um, and breaks are a good thing. So, but at the time, so I was taking really my first break when I was unemployed, depending on how I tell the story, uh, either, you know, I was fired. That's the, that's the, that's the 
true way. I was fired. I was let go. I saw it coming. Um, at one point, by the way, I, this was good. At one point I said to my husband, like, I am so tired of going in the office. This is frustrating. I like, they don't need me. This is what I said though. They don't need a person in charge of strategic planning right now. We're not going to do a merger or an acquisition. You know, this is frustrating. I should just, I should just leave. <laughs> my husband goes, I'd like you to calculate how much they're paying you to sit in that chair every day <laughs> and then tell me if you want to leave. And I did. I ca- so I calculated. I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'll let them tell me when they're ready to let me go. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so I got like a four or four more months or five more months out of that. So then when I was let go, I got severance. Right. That was great. Love that gig. And and they kept me on as a consultant for a little bit. So I was a double dip in there. I was like, okay, <laughs> great. No. So at the end, but that was coming to an end. Back to the girls that run. But that was coming to an end. Catherine, what what time frame was this when this was occurring? 2012. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so 10, 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 So, she, so this oh go ahead. I mean, you're you're at Girls on the Run. I've been you know, I'm, I'm kind of a groupie. So I've been following what girls on the run has been doing because of my girls. Right. Um, when the minute I heard you were there, I was like, Oh my God, that's so great. As soon as they can run. Um, so carry on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 2012. So I was in transition for about a year. Um, the thing they say about life in general is like, what would you do if you didn't have to work is a really good one. I, I, for that year, um, did a lot of volunteer work. I had was our, I was on two boards at the time. Um, and it was funny because in the beginning of the year, I was not even remotely looking at jobs. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting some stuff done and per, my personal life and I'm enjoying the gym, whatever. So, so by the end of the year, I started looking at the traditional jobs again, right? I was looking at consulting and marketing and just a bunch of different jobs. And, um, Anyway, and I went to Girls on the Run 5K uh, and I um, had already been partnering with the organization. I've been a corporate sponsor, so I knew everybody at the organization really well. I went just to support it. I went to run with my friend's daughter, you know, and at the 5K, I heard they had a job open and it just sparked something in me. I was in the process of interviewing some other jobs. It sparked something in me and I went home and I reached out to the people I knew. And I said, you know, kind of like to have breakfast, you know, let's get to, let's, let's have breakfast. I hear, I, you know, she was the, per, the person I reached out to was leaving. So we went to breakfast, we were chatting. I was like, yeah, I hear you're leaving. But she was like, you know, jobs open. It's interesting. I was like, well, you know, I, I might be interested. And she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, Catherine, if you're interested, she's like, I need to, I need to like basically text my CEO right now and let her know because they're far in the process and let me see what's going on. And so she reached back out to me and said, if you're interested, you need to put your resume in like now. And it was like that. I had an interview the following Monday, had a second interview that Friday and they made the job offer the following week. And they were like, how quickly can you start? And I was like, wait, I'm still on my sabbatical. (laughs) But the best thing was, I remember this, and this is really funny. I, I went at some point I said to my husband, I was like, I was like, you know, I said, this would be a step back. You know, this would be a step back financially. And, 
you know, how do we feel about this, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes, I hate to break it to you. He's like, but you're not employed right now. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you make zero. <laughs> you're moving up. And then he's like, he's like, yeah, that's what he says. He's like, he's like, he's like, this is an improvement. <laughs> and I was like, that's a good point. It's, you know, perspective here is important. Um, so yes, but, but I will say I did take it like, and at the time, so at the time it was a third of what I had been making before and, um, well, not the zero, but you know, the previous job. And, um, <laughs> I, I took it really thinking that we were on the upswing and we, it would continue to grow and the responsibility would grow. And as long as the responsibility grew and, and the organization grew and there would be room for me to grow. Um, and so I think I was like, at the time of the team was like 13 or 15 people, you know, uh, we're right around probably 40 now. Um, so, uh, you know, organization wise, you know, obviously with pandemic, it's been weird, but pre pandemic, we were serving about 210,000 girls annually nationwide. And when I came, it was probably like, gosh, I'm even trying to remember, man, maybe like 150, you know, so, you know, we've had some pretty phenomenal growth and, so much has happened over that time. Like every year is a different year. Um, yeah. So it's been great. It's been a great ride. It hasn't been the same job every year. I It's kind of been in, it, in the beginning, every year was different as we got bigger. And as time went by, we tackled like the low hanging fruit. Then it was like every two, two to three years with like a, like a window. I certainly re-upped. I would call it re-upped a couple of times meaning, you know, somebody from Springs reached out to try to recruit me back. And I, I was tempted a little bit, my ego, you know, another little lesson I would say is like, kind of check your ego at the door, you know, <laughs> a lot of things about that, that I think if you can check your ego, you're, you're better off. And, and I realized it was my ego that was pulling me back. Not necessarily, you know, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to go do. Catherine, I, I got to tell you, these these three these these three lessons or or you know uh, pieces of advice that you gave were honestly they they resonated so much with me, and I don't even know where to start. But I'll start with the first one because it it really resonated with me. Um, this topic of, of failure, um, and and. And I, I suspect many of us, you know, feel the same way, but I know that growing up, um, I grew up in a, in a, in a family culture of failure is bad. Right. And, and I know all families are not this way. This just happened to be the one family that I grew up in. And, uh, and I, I was probably 30 years old before I really recognized kind of the, 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 the blinders that were, were on my life. Um, even when I was at Darden, I was still living in this, in this mindset, you know, and, uh, I just think that's, I just think that is a great piece of advice. I wish I'd I hope my kids feel that way, um, you know, with, with, with not being afraid of failing, you know, it took me, it took me until I was 30 before I was, I was, I realized like, I, I remember having this epiphany. I was on a flight from LA to Atlanta in about, I don't know, 1996, give or take, I was in two years out of Darden and, um, and it, it was at the time when I was thinking of moving to Montana and starting, you know, starting a business. And I just remember 
having this epiphany that was like, I would rather try and fail than wake up one day at, you know, at, at 60 or 70 or 80 and not having tried. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. failure is better than not trying. And, and I, I swear to God, it was the first time that it had occurred to me, you know, because yeah. I had just been raised in such an environment that failure, like maybe, 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 maybe that was a weird family. Maybe it's common. I don't know, but it was just like, you know, like yeah. you just do, you just do the responsible, respectable thing and whatever you do, don't bring shame on the family and failure is shame. So therefore just don't fail. And yeah. I think it's, I think your advice about, you know, being willing to fail is the only way to really achieve, you know, your life's potential, you know? Right. Well, you know, one of the things you think about is everybody that, got into Darden, probably was pretty successful in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, you know, I mean, they didn't, they didn't get there because, you know, they were held back three times, you know, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, it's like, so, but yet at what point do you realize that you're going to have those obstacles, right? Whatever that, whatever they are, um, I love to ask people when I interview people, you know, what's the greatest thing you've overcome, right? Like, because honestly, you can tell a lot by some, how somebody answers that, whether or not they have truly failed, whether or not they've truly had to like suck it up and get their hands dirty and figure it out. Um, I think that resilience thing is, is big. And I will say, I will say there was a pivotal moment for me when I was younger that, um, that I do think built the resilience. I, I still think sometimes my, my, my gift, greatest strength, greatest weakness, my gift of knowing my strengths has probably still restricted me a little bit on the failing part. However, having said that, I think I'm fairly resilient. I think, mm-hmm. and I think I'm resilient primarily because I did ballet as a child. Um, and it taught me in a lot of ways, I think about ballet as, kind of my version of girls on the run, you know, it taught me a lot of dedication, discipline, et cetera. But my resilience moment came when I went, uh, summer of summer after fifth grade, I went and auditioned to be in a children's role with the New York city ballet. Mm. We were pre-selected, uh, the, the children's ballet master from New York city ballet was friends with my dance studio. He came to Ohio. He auditioned us in Ohio 13 of us were selected to go to uh, Saratoga, Saratoga, New York and audition there. And it was kind of like a given, like in the history of doing this, everybody who ever auditioned in Ohio and went, got, got into the part, right? Except the year that I was, <laughs> I was in it and I was the only one that didn't get in. So I was cut. And, um, not only was I cut, but being the only one cut. And oh, by the way, our parents didn't all go with us. We carpooled. And so like my parents didn't come with me. So when everybody called home to tell their parents that they had made it, which was a pre 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 given whenever that they were going to make it, I was the one that called home and had to be like, yeah, I didn't get it. And I went back the next year and auditioned again and I did get it. And I think that whole cycle just good. 
you know, it was good to kind of, you know, be the only one cut. It was good to have to go there in the summer and take classes at the Briansky Ballet Center, but never get to go to the rehearsals. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I just think it was good. You know? That's great. That's do good. You, Catherine, I'm, you know, given that you're, you know, helping operate an organization that's nationwide, right? And um, you are giving space to girls of various socioeconomic um, backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, everything. Um, I mean, are you sitting down and sharing this with these girls and, and how are you, Catherine, not girls on the run, yeah. how are you sharing all this? Because I, you're so like, even on, we're seeing her on camera. She's positive. She's bubbly. She's, you know, um, always willing to lend a helping hand. Like, I just, I listen to this and I go, how are they, how are you sharing this? What are you hearing from them? You know, I'm really curious because you're yeah. kind of, in a very um, instrumental role? Gracia, okay, good question. I, you know, I wish I could answer that question and tell you that I'm sharing it more with the girls, the, the, the really the, the young girls, but I'm really honestly not because I'm not on the ground coaching, you know, and I'm not in charge of developing the curriculum of, of wonderful woman, a UV, another UVA grad, Allie Riley, whose whole you know, master's, PhD, everything is in physical activity, positive youth development programming. That's the thing. Wow. She does all of that. I think where, where I though, so there's two where places where I though um, have so much joy and that does sort of maybe trickle down. One is I get that joy from working with the chapters. Like I'm working with the chapters nationwide and they come the people in these roles come from so many different backgrounds, right? And so they don't all have a business background. Um, some do, but some don't. Um, some started as volunteers and have just grown up with the chapter. Some have been recruited in by boards that are very professionalized. So there's just so much there that, that brings me joy. And knowing that by developing a strong relationship between headquarters and chapters, translates to strengthening our overall organization and network, which makes the organization sustainable so we can deliver the program to more people. That, that is, that brings me joy. Um, and then from the programming side, honestly, um, my relationship with Allie is pretty special, right? Because her whole background is, is very different, but, and so I will, I am not the expert in physical activity, positive youth development programming. I, I, I can't write curriculum. I don't know those things. That's, that is what she does. But I, as she says, she has gotten her MBA from working with me because I, I bring to it sort of like that business lens or that operational lens. And um, it's been just so much fun to be a partner with her in figuring out how to make it all work. Wonderful. I've got a question for you. Speaking about business, um, I have never 
been an employee in a nonprofit, but I've served on a number of nonprofit boards. And, uh, and so, you know, coming at it from a Darden perspective, whenever I go into a nonprofit, I always want to like understand the business model and I want to understand the funding and, you know, and the delivery model and all that, because that's the way my brain works. Uh, talk to us about the, like, financial aspect of girls yeah. on the run like like what is where does your revenue revenue might not be the right word but you know what i'm saying no, that's like, the where, right word. where where do, where does your money come from and, and yeah. explain to me kind of that that aspect of things well interestingly enough i talk a lot about it when i talk to people that are on in in business i generally i sort of translate it to the for-profit world so we're a federated model that's the nonprofit language uh, in the, in the business world, think of it, I think of it as we're the franchisor and the chapters are the franchisees okay. um, and the relationship between us is held through a membership agreement. Okay. Um, the revenue model for us and the chapters is similar. We're very similar to the why, which is we're providing, you know, we're providing a, a service and to those who can afford to pay for the service, they do pay for it. So we have earned income because of those sort of goods and services from, and, from, from the actual like kids that are participating in the programs. So the chapters have it from the kids participating in the programs, right? Okay. Okay. The families who can afford to pay, pay for the program. Okay. And the money flows back to corporate through the chapters. Yes. And, but how does it flow, flow back? It flows back through the membership agreement, which is uh, think of it as licensing fees or, uh, yeah, that's probably the best way. So they're, yeah, yeah, exactly. So percent, yeah. percent of percent of revenue is how right. So LA is going to have a certain amount of, you know, revenue, the LA chapter or chapters, and obviously a smaller chapter like Gallatin County is going to have a smaller budget, but you guys get some of that, some of that funding flows back to Charlotte and that's, yeah. that's how the program that's, that's how it right. works. So we're made up of really earned and contributed. It's a, you know, and I would say depending on the chapter, you know, uh, a chapter that is in maybe an area that is a little bit on maybe on the wealthier side, because they're not all chapters aren't structured exactly the same because of how we grew up very grassroots. You know, nobody sat down in 1996 and said, this is how we should carve up the United States and, you know, how it should work. So, um yeah. So that's one of the things we've kind of worked at over the years is trying to make sure that we have a sustainable, the chapters are sustainable, but um, so like a, a wealthier area might be 70% earned 30% contributed income because they don't have as many folks that they're scholarshipping. Um, I would say the majority of councils are closer to 50, 50, 50% earned income, 50% contributed income. So fundraising. And then on the flip side of that, you can have higher need areas that might be 30% earned, 70% contributed. You know, we talk a lot to the councils about how do you build a sustainable model? We have KPIs that we've shared with, shared with them that tie back to our mission advancement markers, which is our version of our strategic plan, strategic map. And so one of the KPIs is, is around um, having a balance of earned and contributed income. Well, we're we're gonna have to talk because I um I I'm 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 
doubtful that we have a chapter here in Grant County, New Mexico, my new home, and uh-huh. uh, and we 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 need to make that happen. It's a very uh, it's it's um, huge Hispanic and Native American population, and uh, and it's not a wealthy county compared to you know to many others. But uh, but we'll 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 have to talk. Maybe we can have a chapter here yeah. one day. We'll we'll chat. Yes. Yeah. Catherine, um, what was it like to go from uh, a, a big company like Springs to a nonprofit with 15 employees? That's a that's an yeah. interesting change of business gears. So I think it wasn't it wasn't that hard for me. I, I think it would be hard for some, and I think it might depend on where where uh, someone starts there their career. Um, so Springs was never the size of like a bank of America and Springs, even though it had at one time, you know, 22,000 employees, in the U S you know, 20,000 of them plus were in the manufacturing facilities and the plants. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of being in the corporate office of Springs, it never felt that big to me um, because the sales and marketing financial world, which is really, I was in and out of those jobs. I was at Springs for 13 years. So I was in eight different jobs at Springs, but they were all over the place. Um, so, so it, what, what, what role, I mean, just real quickly, you know, what, what yeah. roles all marketing or, or. No, I started out in like a marketing programs job. I mean, that's another little life lesson. I started out in marketing programs then a job became available that was um, it's like the, it was a financial analyst for uh, one of the marketing divisions. And when the job became available, I, I went and asked for it. It never occurred to me to not ask for it. Right. I just was like, hey, you know, I see this job's open. You know, could I, I I'd like to apply for that job. And the HR guy said, oh, I didn't know you had your CPA. And I said, oh, no, I don't have my CPA. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, is a CPA required? Cause I think I could do that job. And, um, he's like, let me get back to you. And so he went skip Scharfenberger. I mean, really my career has a lot to do with skip skip went and talked to the business people and said, Hey, you know, I've got this person. I was coming off of the, what was called the general management program, which is where they kind of brought you in out of, a, uh, out of Darden into this program. And I was coming off of, I had done that. Then I was in a marketing job. And so Skip, you know, calls the people that be, you know, powers that be and he calls me back. He's like, okay. He's like, yeah, we're willing to put you in that job. And I was like, awesome. And, you know, I think again, taught me two things. One is nobody's looking out for you except you, right? Like they would have never considered me for that job. Mm -hmm. And then the other is that it kept me there. I mean, really, honestly, if I don't think they, I think if they hadn't given me that job, you know, I I was ready for something new. Like I was like, give me more, give me more kind of thing. And so that was more. And I learned. And then because I was able to prove myself, I then became the person that they would put into any job when they didn't have somebody that was the natural fit. Every other job at Springs was kind of like, well, who could do that job? Well, you know, I think Catherine could do that job. And, uh, and and then that created really a track record for me where, I mean, back to a little bit, I, I mean, I kind of think I, I was joking about it today, even with my brother. I was like, you know, I think I actually probably have a higher confidence than I should have. Cause I kind of think I could do any job. 
any job. And he goes, yeah, you might have that problem. And I, <laughs> I was like, I mean, I know I can't be a surgeon, but that's only because I didn't go to school. Well, you know, right. you know, Catherine, I read this, I read this quote, uh, I don't know within the, the last few months, but it's like, we judge ourselves based upon what we're capable of and other people judge us based upon what we've done. And it's so true, you know, when you think about it that way. I mean, just like with your experience, I mean, you knew that you could do that job, but they had never considered you, you know, yeah. because you hadn't done it before. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, and then I, that's the only thing there back to the thing. I, I'll say the, the probably the biggest ego blow, you know, back, it was honestly Carolina pad. You know, I didn't that one to me, every other job I've sort of like left at sort of like like I accomplished something, I tied it up in a nice little bow or, or somebody was reaching out and grabbing me or whatever the case may be. And Carolina pad. Yeah. I, I, I got to a point where I wasn't, I wasn't firing on all pistons and, you know, like you get into a rut and you get to a place where it's like, this is not working. Was that part of Springs? No, that was after Springs. Oh, okay. Springs for Carolina pad. But that was the, that was the one that led to the the year off. And Mm. it was a great reset. So it's so it springs you did you did marketing and then you did a finance, oh, sorry, finance okay. jobs and then but what else you know you said what you sounded like you did eight well let's see I did yeah I did financial like financial planning I did marketing I did um uh VP of strategy there I was in the VP of strategy then led me well let me back up for two years I was on a project with McKinsey and so I was the internal person on the McKinsey project which was kind of great because I really director of business planning as that was when I yeah and that's when I was on the McKinsey project which was awesome I mean I you know I wish I'd gotten paid what they've been getting paid but still my point is I got a nice little education about the consulting world and I was able to really leverage that in a lot of different ways and and probably if I had wanted to leave Springs would have would have been able to get again I was looking for some jobs Springs always had a sense of when I was leaving because like I would start looking for something and then they give me a new job and I would I would move on to the next thing. But um, so the, the McKinsey job then led to a product manager job, um, sort of like I did my stint in McKinsey and then they shipped me in, out to California. I did a product manager job. Then I, then a new CFO came in and they were creating a VP of strategic planning. So that then I went back to do v- strategic planning. And then that led to another uh, kind of product manager job, but like elevated. It was like a category management job. We had done an acquisition and then I went to sort of lead new product category. And then that led to another kind of bigger um, merchandise manager position and and then I, then I left. So, so how do you think those roles set you up in a company that, you know, certainly has, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the size of bank of America, but it also was, was substantial in that, you know, there were, I imagine a fair number of professionals. You had a lot of different roles, um, a lot of infrastructure around you and then going to a nonprofit where yeah. it's you and, 14 other people and that's it. Yes. And as you can see, I have a wandering mind because that's good time. You're bringing me back to your original question. I really do appreciate that. Um, I don't know that I ever thought there was that much structure. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, even though there was, and I totally agree with you, there was like, in hindsight, there are things that were like so structured, but I think, I don't know why. And maybe it was because I was always in these sort of, these are sort of like startup positions, you know, even within Springs. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't, it never felt like, it never felt like there was that much structure. I know that sounds, Mm. um, and I guess I, my, I never was the person who didn't book her. I know it sounds really crazy, but it's the only way I can think about it. I was never the person who didn't book their own travel arrangements, who didn't know how to work the fax machine, who didn't know how to like, I was the figure it out person. Um, and I think that also just prepared me, whether it be for a new position that didn't have any structure around it. Like I figured out how to add value to whatever that position was, or if I couldn't, I figured out I needed to move on because the position wasn't, wasn't well scoped or wasn't in a good place. And it was like a recipe for disaster. Um, so therefore when I made these moves, they weren't big culture shocks, I guess. Right. And, and I did kind of move a little smaller every time. So, you know, Springs was big, but the jobs themselves were in divisions and things that were, you know, somewhat smaller. And, um, and interestingly enough, as I got further in my career at Springs, I started to feel like I had less control because I was in a bigger job where more people had input. So I was, that was one of the reasons I ultimately left. In fact, when I left, I finally said, you don't need me. You need a smart kid out of business school who can crunch the numbers for you because you're making all the decisions. And so I left, I went to a smaller company it with Carolina pad. So they were Carolina pad at the time was like a hundred million. So Springs at one time was 2.2 billion. Carolina pad was a hundred million, um, 40, 50 employees, but two offices, us and, um, Hong Kong. And then, yeah, from, 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 from there, really, even though it was going to a nonprofit, I don't know, it just wasn't as big of a shift, but that is the thing most people assume. And I think I have seen other people not make the move. Like I have worked with people who have come from big companies who it just wasn't a fit because they just, they just are used to, well, that department does that, (laughs) you know, or that someone else will make that decision for me. Yeah. Or someone else can figure that piece out. Interesting. Right. And they don't, what is interesting about like Bank of America, when I think of, I, I always obviously think in Charlotte, I looked at Bank of America and think about it. it it's just amazing. Cause sometimes I think to myself, I'm not sure how, how they get things done because you know, it, it's, it, it's, <laughs> It's a it's machine. Just, it is a machine. It is a machine. You should try working with the Department of Defense. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, yeah. so, uh, you know, looking ahead, Catherine, um, with all you've, you know, you've done and you've had some amazing experiences, what's the next 10 years look like for you? Have you given much thought to that? Yeah. Okay. Well, one, I gave a lot of thought to it. But right at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Because quite frankly, you know, you had to kind of think about it, right? Were we going to survive or not? And if we didn't survive, what was, right. what was I going to go do? So certainly, you know, that was a thought. But the other thing that's interesting right now 
is I'm at a very interesting place. So I love my job and it's always different. And I think there's still more evolution here. At the same time, I've built a really great bench and I am thinking about ways like how do I, yeah, how, how, how am I uh, delegating more, imparting, imparting knowledge, maybe even thinking about letting some things go ultimately mm-hmm. at some point, maybe, maybe I need to step aside before I even want to step aside because it's just time for somebody else to come in and lead. And those are really interesting thoughts. And we've had very open conversations about it, but my boss a little bit, she's a little bit older than I am. So she's obviously thinks also about succession planning. She at one time, I remember at one time we were talking about it. Um, and it was back when um, Dean Smith was retiring uh, from UNC basketball and his longtime assistant, um, what's his name? Guthrie, 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 Guthridge. Do you remember y'all? I don't remember. He became the coach, didn't he? Correct. He became the coach, right? Yeah. Came the coach, and he became the coach really only for two years. And, you know, the, the reason everybody sort of talked about it was like, well, he became the two for two years for one, because nobody could follow Dean Smith, right? That was sort of like, who would want to follow in Dean Smith's shoes, but also, be- point. also because he had been sort of like a loyal second for so many years that Dean wanted to give him the opportunity to be the head coach and retire as the head coach. Right. So that's kind of why he did it. So I jokingly said to my boss, I'm like, that's me. I'm. <laughs> I'm Bill Guthridge or whatever. I can't remember. I should know his name better since I said, but that's me, right? I, I don't really, I don't think I'm the right person to lead this organization. I don't think I'm the right person to be CEO. I did tell her if she, at one point I was like, now, of course, if you got hit for a hit by the bus, I would feel bad if I wasn't considered. Um, and it might be good. She's been CEO for 16 years. Um, she'll probably at least hit 20, if not longer. So I said, so I might be the good person to help with the transition because it's going to be hard to follow her. Um, but yeah, I'm like actively thinking about, you know, what, what's best for the organization. And that's just such a different mindset to have a little bit, you know, it's kind of weird to sort of have that, that thought process going through my head. So what the do you think? It, what, what, yeah. What do you, well, it it helps to have a little bit of, you know, perspective and, and, and time under our belt, so to speak. Um, what, uh, so what, 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 what would be next for you? What are you, what are you, what are you yeah. thinking of doing? I don't know. I mean, some of it might depend on the opportunity. Some of it might depend on the opportunity, you know, and I've, I've certainly thought about consulting at some point, right. You know, um, a lot of people reach out and, you know, ask questions about how we scaled, you know, how we did it, pros and cons of setting it up in different ways. So there might be something consulting. Mm-hmm. There might be just, you know, a different role, you know, in a different nonprofit. Again, I don't know. Maybe running the American Association of Ballroom Dancing. Did you guys know <laughs> that Catherine is a ridiculous? ridiculous ballroom dancer what are you oh serious uh, so tell, uh, tell I, us tell us more what's good <laughs> what, what, what oh you want me to tell you more oh my gosh okay yeah it started four years ago um a friend of mine wanted to take ballroom dancing classes like a female associate friend like so i don't think she had thought through this clearly she just didn't because <laughs> i'm obviously not dancing with her so we, we started off, we had two separate instructors. Um, it was really not a good way to socialize, but, uh, but yeah, 
I kind of, I kind of stuck. Good. She's and, really good. And, and got the got the book, and um, and then uh, most of it has been around just learning something new, and I enjoy dancing. And as I as I told my my instructors from Lithuania, I said to Narius, I'm like, you know, I never leave here in a bad mood, so it's great. But now I've really gotten the bug and he's also sort of figured out that I'm a little competitive. So he's, you know, he's pushing me more now and, and trying stuff. And we just did what Joanna is referring to. So I did post on Facebook because I did a performance in January for the first time since I was doing ballet as a kid. Um, I did a tango to Alexander Hamilton and I did a waltz to a song from a chorus line and, um, Next up will be, I'm doing, a, I'm learning a cha-cha right now to a song from The Great Gatsby. So, yay. I'm oh, all, that's I'm cool. All in. I'm all oh, in. that's so cool. Oh, man. Well, con congratulations. That's very cool. Well, it's now fun. you're going to have to have something set up for the next reunion. That's all I have to say. <laughs> oh, all, I'm right? really not. I'm really not. It's funny. I'm not. Uh, I'm more like, I'm more instinctual. Like, I could never teach. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, we want to watch you dance. Oh, at the I don't know. With your, with, with, with your partner, we'll fly him in, you know. Fly in Arius, yeah. 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 Okay. I'll, yes. I'll tell Narius, yes. I'll tell Narius to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's neat. I will say uh, it's great engaging the mind in a way that is so different. Mm. You normally do it. I'm, I'm hoping this is really going to prevent Alzheimer's, by the way. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. That's, That's my right. goal. <laughs> Doug and I have had that conversation often. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just once and I replaced yeah, it. Did you have that conversation? Did you have that conversation? Right. Awesome. Well, this was wonderful. I, again, um, it's good oh. to see, hear your voice, see your beautiful face, your positive energy. So thank you. You're very for, kind. Very thanks kind. Thanks for what you're doing for the girls, the girl club. We there need all the help we can get. So it's wonderful for you to have you as a Darden woman on, on, at the helm. Wow. And I have nice. no doubt anywhere you go, it's going to be positive and amazing for whoever you surround yourself with. So, well, thanks. I've enjoyed it. It was fun. I appreciate y'all. Appreciate you asking. Oh, heck yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Super fun.